Wonderful. Welcome to 2023. That's, uh, we haven't met together for a couple of weeks. Mary and I were with our kids in Melbourne and our grandkids. Uh, I was helping my son put together some flat pack dresser thing for a new baby coming. I almost lost my salvation. Many of us uh, with New Year's make resolutions, many people do. For some, if you've made a decision to diet or to eat differently, you're one week in, and now the tough time happens because you're one week in, and uh, it's easy to, to feel like it's overwhelming. If you start a new exercise regimen, you're one week in, which means that you're probably feeling sore and tired. So you're to be commended that you even got out of bed this morning and made it here. I'm saying that because I'm part of that group and I feel a great accomplishment that I got out of bed this morning and made it here. Yeah, Tim played basketball on New Year's Day and dislocated his finger. Mary and I, with with our kids and grandkids, took our grandkids to Melbourne City. They have these big fireworks thing at midnight, but they have a family one at nine o'clock. So we went down and it was packed and it was getting there and we set up overlooking the city uh, that we'd see all these fireworks because they had advertised at all these buildings. And at 9.30, off to the side behind some trees was one little thing of fireworks for the family. And then we had to fight through all the the uh, people in the train and get back home. It was about six hours in total for this 10 minutes of fireworks. They had really nice fireworks at midnight. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's easy to make resolutions. I wonder, do you ever make spiritual resolutions? Do you ever determine that this year you're going to be more like Jesus? That this year you're going to be more obedient to the Holy Spirit. That this year you're going to be more extravagant in worship. See, often our resolutions are only in the natural and not in the spiritual. That has nothing to do with what I'm preaching. I just thought I'd throw that out to challenge you this year for, <laughs> for fun. You know, I, I was realizing that... This time of year, at the end of the year and the beginning of a new year, a lot of people get focused on what is God saying this year, and a lot of people get focused on end times, last days, all that kind of stuff. And I decided, I've been ignoring it for a number of months, and I decided that I need to address something of that so we don't get off track. Uh, I'm excited for this year. I'm excited for what God's saying Lance had shared something that he felt God say about double grace, grace that we have in him and then grace for each other. We're going to get to that a bit more next week. Uh, But I want to just take a moment and talk about what Jesus said. When it comes to end times, almost everybody wants to jump to the book of Revelation. And we want to start there, but rather than start there, we need to start with Jesus because he's the one who knows what's happening. And so if you've got your Bible, turn with me to 
Matthew 24. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you that in worship you've already spoken to us about our foundation, our stability, our uh, peace, our assurance being in you, not in the things around us, not in what we can do, but in who you are. And so in that place of peace, we look at your word and we say, speak to us today. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple, and he said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus is making a statement about the temple being destroyed. This was probably about 30 AD. By 70 AD, that had happened. Jerusalem had been overrun, the temple was destroyed, and it was torn down. Uh, Now, as he said of the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? He had just talked about the destruction of the temple, and they say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They actually asked three questions. We often throw them into one and we get confused. But they actually asked three, and it seems like Jesus answers them. He answers the last one a little bit. He touches on that at the end of the age. Then he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. And then he comes back to signs of his coming. We see this also in Luke chapter 21. And in Luke, it's a little bit organized a little bit better. There's subheadings that make it clear, but we basically see Jesus answering these three questions. The destruction of the temple, which was the first question, wasn't the first question he answered. We see the answer in Matthew 24 from 15 to 24. He talks about the destruction or the abomination of desolation. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. And you see that very clearly if you look at Luke chapter 21. And so there's something that's going to happen. It's actually a prophetic statement about what's going to take place in the immediate future. And it did. Many people jump ahead to Revelation and they think it's about the end times, but there's a whole lot of evidence that it was a prophetic word about the destruction of Jerusalem and the overthrow of the temple. It also might have had some end times things, but it had an immediate application. And that's why we don't want to start there. Then the sign of your coming, we get from 24, chapter 24, from verse 25. And it goes all the way through chapter 25 and verse 13. And then he tells this parable of the talents, which is also the same thing. Okay? Stay with me. I just want you to see something. And then the end of the age. He begins with that in verse 4. They ask him that, and that's the last question. And the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said, verse 4, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. 
And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. What? You're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. The temple's going to be destroyed. Jerusalem's going to be devastated. In fact, history tells us over a million Jews were killed by the Romans in 1970. I mean, in AD 70, 1970. <laughs> okay, I am rusty. You're going to see... There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilences, or plagues, earthquakes in various places, and these are the beginning of sorrows or the birth pangs. See that you're not troubled. Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will go cold. But see that you're not troubled. Doesn't quite make sense, does it? He endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all men, and then the end will come. What's the sign of the end? The gospel of the kingdom being preached to all the world. He doesn't say, because of this, go preach the gospel to all the world. He's given that commandment later on. Mark 16, Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations, preach the gospel to all nations. He says this gospel will be preached. The kingdom will continue to advance and grow throughout history. And then the end will come. Too often we get it the other way around. We look at all the problems. And we say, oh, it's terrible. It's going to get worse. See that you're not troubled. Let me give you a little bit of kingdom background. I was teasing my wife the other day, and I entitled this Apostolic Eschatology. Eschatology being the last days or end times, apostolic being about the king and the kingdom. So kingdom focus of the last days. Okay? I can, I can make it understandable. Or I can impress you with my vocabulary. I have no idea what I would be saying. But let me give you a little bit of kingdom background when we talk about don't be troubled. Let me give you an illustration first. I heard this story. You probably, probably most of you have heard it of three guys who were blind who encountered an elephant for the very first time. And one of them happened to be at the trunk and, and held onto the trunk and said, ah, an elephant is like a very big hose. Another encountered the side of the elephant and he said, no, an elephant is very much like a wall. The other one had the tail. He said, no, an elephant is very much like a thick rope. Were they right? Yes, 
Were they all right? No. An elephant's not just like a hose. A part of it is. When we take a piece of it and remove it, we get off base. When we understand, when we take a piece of focus on the end times and remove it from the kingdom, we get off base. It's all about a rope. No, it's all about a wall. No, it's all about a trunk. It's all about this or that. No, it's all about the kingdom advancing. So Matthew chapter 6. You're going to be surprised. How can this be an end time message? Verse 25, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's talking about finance and money, which I'm not talking about this morning. Relax. (laughs) Verse 25, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Verse 31, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For these things the Gentiles seek, for the Heavenly Father knows you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's something as we understand the kingdom, as we come into relationship with Jesus, that makes us realize that the things of the world are not the end. There's something greater. And therefore, we don't need to worry about these things. We need to keep our focus on the greater, the kingdom, the king. No matter what happens, there's going to be wars. There's going to be famines. There are right now. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because we're part of a different kingdom. Philippians chapter 4. Paul writing to the Philippians picks up on this. It was in my Bible yesterday. Philippians was in my Bible. Someone removed it. From verse uh, 5, it says this. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. You can't separate those scriptures. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. There's famines. There's earthquakes. But the Lord is at hand. Where's our focus? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't worry, but be watchful. So you can't take it out of context. Back in Matthew 24, 
he concludes way back here with, in verse, uh, where am I? 42. After all this stuff he's talking about, the coming of the Son of Man, the destruction of Jerusalem, he says, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord is coming. Verse 44, therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming hour at an hour you do not expect. Is it only me or does that not make sense? Be ready. You don't know when he's coming. Seems like it should be the opposite. You know when he's coming, so be ready. Right? Maybe it's just me. My mind's a bit twisted. Be watchful. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour that the Lord is coming. The Lord is at hand. What are we watching for? We're watching for him. Verse 13, chapter 25. It says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We know he's coming. We just don't know when. But he says, watch. Luke chapter 21 is parallel to this. And in verse, uh, chapter 1, at the end from verse uh, 34 to 36. It's the whole story again. It says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. What's that day? That's Jesus' return. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Don't worry. Be watchful. Don't be anxious. But look up. Don't look at the things in the natural, but look at the things of the spiritual. Look up. Our redemption draws nigh. Look up. This kingdom concept that people were under oppression, they were controlled by a foreign power, the, the Israelites, the Jews, and they had this expectation that Messiah was going to come and he was going to deliver them from this oppression. They had this excitement that Messiah is going to come and we just finished the, Easter, the Christmas celebration and joy to the world, the Lord has come and everyone's excited. They were excited because they thought he was going to deliver them from this oppression. They thought he was going to send up, set up an earthly kingdom and he'd be a different government. Doesn't Isaiah 9 say that? And the government will be upon his shoulders. They were expecting. So when he said, I'm the Messiah, everyone said, yes, he's finally come. But it wasn't natural. His focus was spiritual. His focus was a kingdom that was not of this world. It was the removing of sin so that we could be restored to relationship with God. His kingdom exists for those who are submitted to his rulership. You still with me?
There was a disappointment for many people. Thousands gathered to come and see Jesus do miracles. Fed the 5,000. Yet at the end, there's 120 in the upper room. Three years of ministry, incredible miracles, and at the end, there's 120. We're going to come back to that next week. Don't worry, be watchful. Why? So we're not distracted. So we don't get caught up in the things of the world thinking he's not coming. So, so we don't get so focused on the natural that we become like the world, but that we keep our focus looking for a king who's returning. But you say, but what about the Antichrist? Termin Thessalonians is a son of lawlessness or the spirit of lawlessness, which is actually rebellion against God. Is it a person? Maybe. You don't need to worry about speculation. Is there a spirit of antichrist? Christ meaning the anointed one? Of course. That's the world we live in. Add to wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and, and plagues and everything else a spirit that is against Jesus. But don't let your heart be troubled. This is getting harder. Come on, Russ. You're not making this easy here. I said a number of years ago, kind of in passing, something that I realized was, was not correct. I said darkness is getting darker. Darkness isn't getting darker. It's just getting louder. The kingdom is expanding. And darkness is losing. The kingdom of darkness is shrinking as the kingdom of God expands. And it's getting louder. We have to be careful that we don't let it become what we're hearing. So what is this son of lawlessness? What is this antichrist? We can get so focused on the wrong things. Mary's great-great-grandfather was a preacher of the gospel, a pastor of a church, until he got convinced that Napoleon was the Antichrist, and that became his whole focus, wrote books about it, never accounted anything else for the kingdom after that because he was trying to convince everyone Napoleon was the, the Antichrist. How many people have said Stalin was the Antichrist, or Hitler, or now Putin? I read an article in the early from the early 1950s that Cold War, the uh, use of the atomic bomb in the Second World War brought the war to, to an end, but that the Cold War and the race for, for uh, atomic uh, nuclear supremacy caused a fear, and everyone was saying, this is the end. 60 years ago. Are we living in the last days? Yes. Let me make it very clear. We have been for 2,000 years. 
Is Jesus coming? Yes. Do we know when? No. What about the mark of the beast? I remember when I was young, they were introducing barcodes. You know? And everyone was saying, that's the mark of the beast. Don't, don't submit to that. Don't use barcodes. I've heard so many different things, Y2K and all kinds of other stuff. Barcodes. There was something that happened around, just before the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, Nero was emperor. He died just before Jerusalem was destroyed. His uh, chief of the army uh, was actually in Israel trying to overpower the, uh, the Israelites, became the, the emperor in AD 70. He was actually the emperor, Vesuvius or something, Vespasius. Vespasius, funny name, was the emperor when Jerusalem was overthrown. But it was all Nero that started this. And there's this historical picture of Ephesus where there were these temples set up. They believed that the emperors were gods. I think those emperors only listened to their yes people around them who told them that they were divine. And You know how it's dangerous when you begin to believe your own press releases. Or you listen to all the good things people say about you and you don't have any reality. But he actually believed he was a God. And so therefore, what happened in Ephesus is that you actually had to go and make an offering in the temple to the emperor and get a stamp on your hand before you could go into the market and trade. There wasn't any guessing. Our barcode's the mark of the beast. Is something else the mark? Is this the mark? Is that the mark of the peace? It was very clear. In Revelation, he was referring to what was taking place in that time with Nero. He couldn't say Nero, so he used the term 666, which was the supremacy of man, right? Six being the, the number for man, six being uh, emphasis, I mean, three times being emphasis. So who was the greatest man, man who thought he was God, was Nero. Very definitely. Does it refer to something in the end? And maybe it does. But let me tell you this. If it does, it will be clear. You won't have to say, oh, I, I have to be careful. I don't want to take the mark of the beast. If it's not the barcodes, it was chips in credit cards. Right? How many of you remember that one? Oh, they put these computer chips. Someone actually told me that uh, if you get vaccinated, they put chips in, in the vaccines. Okay? Now, I'm not talking specifically about the COVID vaccine, but this was before. But, but they're going to be able to tell who you are and, and all this kind of I don't know. Let me tell you. I think if that's the case... It'll be very clear. Now, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting into dangerous territory, aren't I? How do you not be troubled and not worry? Two things. Look 
for Jesus' return. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And second, remember the covenant. Turn with me to uh, Luke 22 because we just read Luke 21, which is the culmination of the end times. And the very next chapter, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, the new covenant. And this is something of him saying there's a new covenant. Think about that. Covenant was this incredible thing of God joining himself. I've heard someone say covenant is like a contract. No, it was much more than a contract. A contract is upheld by law. Covenant was a person's, everything that they were was put into it. It was like it used to be years and years ago where you didn't have to have a contract, you just gave your word. A handshake was good enough. Why? Because if you went back on your word, nobody would trust you again and you can never do business. God's word. He enters into this covenant and he says, everything I am, I give to you. And we say everything we are, we give to you. When I grew up, I was told that uh, I had American Indian ancestry. That's questionable because my sister did a, an ancestry, DNA ancestry test thing. So I'm not sure that that's the case. But I was told that growing up. And so I uh, looked at and, and understood the idea of blood covenant, blood brothers, where they would actually cut the, themselves and mingle their blood. That's the concept. We are now of the same blood. We're the same family. God says, we're now joined together. There's no covenant without the shedding of blood. So when Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, he's saying, everything that." The Bible had been looking to, toward in a new covenant is fulfilled in Christ, and we enter that covenant. What does that mean? That means we don't have to worry. God's for us. We don't have to be troubled, no matter what happens in the world. And so he says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Remembering what? That we're in covenant. Sorry, I thought we were actually having communion this morning. I was rusty and, and missed it. Uh, we're not actually doing that, but, but it still applies. We're in covenant. A covenant of love. God says, I choose you. And we respond and say, I choose you. I think we get the better end of the deal. Yeah? How do we approach the last days? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Looking to him. Not looking to the things of the world. We're going to finish with a song, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. It says, And the things of the world will grow strangely dim. Religion says... Make the things of the world not be your focus. 
Don't get focused on this and don't get focused on that. And, and, and don't let this rob you and, and, and don't make money your focus. God says, turn your eyes on Jesus. And the things of the world, the wars, the pestilence, the famines, the up and down of economy, the bad governments, the relational problems, whatever it is that is of the world goes strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we start a new year, calendar year, I don't know that I always had the theological problems where God doesn't start over. We do with a new calendar year. But as we start a new year, let's make sure that our focus is in the right place. Our focus is on Him, not on the things around us. If you watch the news or read the news, you can really become shaken. Let that become dim as we focus on Him. Would you stand? We're just going to sing, turn your eyes on Jesus, and let it, for you individually, but for us as a church, it is the foundation of everything else we're going to do this year. We're going to talk about God's heart for multiplication. We're going to talk about the fruit of the, the Spirit. But all this starts with our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Not being shaken. Can we do that?